desperate, despondent, forlorn, hopelessness, agony, distress, pain, misery, woe, pessimism, resignation. These are all some descriptors, my friend, when I ask some colleagues of mine how they feel about where things are and where things are trending. And yet, I think as we look east and we watch the sun rise today, we recognize it is far from perfect. There are a lot of unknowns. There is a lot of uncertainty. There is a lot of headwind blowing toward us. And the foundation of our lives remain firm and the best of them remains in front of us to ensure that you step into that and that you step into it both unafraid and also no longer on your own. I wanted to invite you today, right now, this moment into our 21 day in awe challenge. I've created these with the help of my team to make sure that as headwind blows and anxiety rises and markets fall and challenges mount that you recognize it is not easy. But it is possible that you've been called and anointed into days like this, that you are ready for it, and that you are unalone. So, my friends, let's go. Roll up the sleeves right now. Let your fingers do the walking. Join me at readinawe.com. Let me say it again because I want to make sure you join me there. Readinawe.com. At the very top of that page is a link to join me in the 21-day challenge. It will spark meaning, hope, and inspiration in your journey regardless of what we face today. My friends, the best is yet to come. It may take us a little while to get there, but the best is yet to come. Let me walk with you along the journey. I'm looking forward to seeing you at readinawe.com. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Today, we have the opportunity and I think the honor of interviewing a friend, a woman named Kathy Heller. Kathy Heller is a podcast host. She is an author. She's a coach, she's a teacher, she's a musician, she is a business owner, and when she's not doing these jobs, she is the mother of three little ones running around her house right now. When we booked Kathy, we had this desire to really spend the majority of our time talking about how you can shift from what you're doing right now into maybe even utilizing your gifts and your talents more fully going forward. Don't keep your day job. Don't keep your day job. There's more out there for you. And then life happened. When Kathy and I booked this, the market was at historic highs. Unemployment was at historic lows. If we had ever heard of the coronavirus, it was something that people in some little city of China were dealing with, not our problem. And now you realize that what happens to one happens to all, that there's no such thing as something that is happening in another part of the world because it's happening in your world too. And uh, that has come home to roost in our own backyard. Today, the world is in a radically different place than it was when Kathy and I first agreed to this interview. And yet, I think the opportunity of being with Kathy today uh, is perfect timing. So this is a divine appointment. So my friends, what I encourage you to do right now is to buckle up, open wide your hearts, open wide your minds. You may want to grab a piece of paper, maybe a pen, 
maybe a glass of wine if you're into that or a cup of coffee if you're not and get ready to take some notes because Kathy's going to talk about her life, but she's only really sharing her life story so that you may better boldly live your life story. So Kathy Heller, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Hi, thank you so much for that beautiful introduction. Thank you so much for having me. It's so um, awesome to get to talk to someone like you because all your listeners know you're one of those very real, genuine, um, heroic human beings. And so this is really nice. Thanks for having me on. Kathy, for the few folks who may yet not know what you do professionally, give us a snapshot when you're not uh, homeschooling due to the coronavirus spreading around LA and everywhere else around the world. When you're not kind of living the life you're living today, but on, on a normal day, what, what is your life? What is your career? My career is helping people find um, new possibility, helping people find a sense of purpose, how they can serve others and make a living doing things that they love that maybe make a difference and make other people happy too. I wrote a book called Don't Keep Your Day Job. So I was saying that we should pivot a little while ago because I, I thought that that was the best thing for our soul and for the world. Um, and so everybody, you're in good hands with me right now. If you're thinking about having to pivot, I think that there's so much here said that's been wrapped in a bow for us in a, in a way as hard and as painful as other parts of it are absolutely. They're both true. Um, so I help people to figure out how to do what they love and get paid really well to do that. Um, I have a podcast, same name as the book, don't keep your day job. Um, and so I do a lot of courses around creating businesses that are impactful, um, especially using online tools to create communities and to create um, all kinds of different services and products and things for people to enjoy. I think there's so much to be shared in our stories as we share a little bit about how we got to where we are today. And Kathy, you, you just have a, a remarkable, tough, beautiful, redemptive story that has led you perfectly to where Aww. you are today. And I think it's worth sharing in order that people will really sit up in their seats and take note of what you're doing today and what you have to teach us. That's so, so kind. Your childhood wasn't, you know, mine wasn't exactly easy. I think it was awesome, oh, but it was not you easy. You get the award for worst time, harder time. <laughs> in, in so many regards, I get the, the uh, award for best because I had so many amazing people around me. Uh, and we'll talk about that later on. But Kathy, your, yours was uh, different and difficult in some regards. So talk about your childhood. What, what, what was great about it? What was challenging about it? Well, I mean, my parents did the best that they could do, and I'm sure they love me as most as they can, but they were really unhappy in their own lives, in their marriage. There was a lot of like fighting and violence in my house, and eventually my parents broke up, and my dad left, and he never came back, and my mom was actually pretty suicidal for a while, so I was living with a lot of trauma, and um, at one point, I was like, mom, you know, how can you leave. You know, mm -hmm. I'm here and I'm all by myself and we didn't have electricity and we didn't have a lot of stability. And at 15, I was working a couple of jobs just to kind of actually in a way be out of the house and in another way have money just to have money for anything. Um, and my mom said, I can't live for you. You're not enough. I don't want to wake up every day. I don't want to be here. And a lot of people struggle with feeling like, are they enough? But I think I was really struggling with that. Like my parents both kind of walked out in different ways. My mom meant mentally and emotionally and my dad physically. So I didn't feel like I was really worthy of a lot. Um, love was something that had to be earned by, you know, 
taking care of other people, yeah. being their therapist, solving their problems, or there wasn't, a, you know, enough attention to go around and presence. Anyway, long story short, the thing I loved as a child was singing and I wanted to one day get as far from there as possible and get a record deal. And so I came out to LA and I tried to get a record deal and I wrote mediocre songs and the songs got a little bit better and a little bit better. And I had a day job and I had a roommate and I was just kind of doing what everyone does in their twenties, trying to like make their dreams come true. And eventually I actually got a record deal and I was signed to Interscope and I was in the room with Lady Gaga recording paparazzi. I'm your biggest fan. I'll follow you until you love me. I was like sitting there. Come on girl. Just keep going. Do it. And I turned to Ron Fair and I said, she is good. Um, and that was like amazing. It was very surreal. And I was like, see, it is going to happen. And now all those people who didn't see me, they'll see me now. And it will all be for whatever this reason. I wound up getting dropped from the label a few months later. And I wound up um, falling into one of those, oh no, I think I'm now feeling depressed because it's one thing to meet the Wizard of Oz and like he just can't get you home. And it's another thing to think, well, if I actually showed up, it would work out. But I was there and it didn't work, which meant I had the validation that like, this is probably not your path. Okay. So I couldn't even dream about it anymore as a possibility. So everyone said, now you need to grow up and get a real job, be an adult. And this means be unhappy, be miserable, work for someone else. And so I did that. I got a bunch of day jobs. I worked in a casting office because someone needed help. So I did that. Then I didn't like that. I worked in a nonprofit. I found out the nonprofit was super dysfunctional. So I didn't do that. I said to a friend, if I can't just get a job and I can't even do something that is good for the world, what am I supposed to do? And she said, just go make money. So I went to work for a guy who sold commercial real estate. He lived in Brentwood. I was selling commercial real estate with him. I didn't know what I was doing. He's like, don't worry. You have a good personality. You'll figure it out. I was there for a year and a half and I didn't know who I became. I looked at myself in the mirror one day wearing a pantsuit and I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm so unhappy. I can't, I, mean, I didn't come out to LA to do this. I didn't want to just wake up just to make money, to watch Law & Order, to drive my car, to get a sushi roll, especially having the pain and the amount of stuff I was struggling with inside still. I didn't want to wind up like my mom and be depressed. It was like a cautionary tale. So yeah. I asked a new question, which was, is there any other way I could possibly do music and you know what? When you start asking good questions, you, you, you will find evidence for what you start to look to be true, right? And so I started saying, is there any other way? Is there any other way? And sure enough, about a week later, I'm researching this and I find that a lot of songwriters are licensing music to film and TV, shows like Grey's Anatomy, ads for Old Navy. And I'm like, wow, they're making $100,000 to write a song for, for an ad for a movie? What the heck? So I think, what if I just went all in and I quit my job and I it was sink or swim because I had nowhere to go home to, no one to give me any money. It was about like, I got to figure it out. And long story short, I did. I started to make cold calls. I started to reach out to people at NBC, CBS, Paramount, Lionsgate, Fox. Hi, I'm Kathy Heller. It was at first, I was really awkward. I was stumbling. What do you need? What songs do you need? What shows are you working on? What stories are you telling? And finally, I figured out what they needed. I started to write what they needed. Oh, we need a sister song. Thanks for asking. We need a song about home. Thanks for asking. And the songs got better. And I asked for feedback. And eventually, I made a few hundred thousand dollars a year. And I did that for a decade. And I did it and did it and did it. And I, um, I was a successful songwriter. And so I was able to 
to do that. It was amazing. I wrote songs for all those companies, Walmart and Kellogg's and Crate and Barrel and Target and Coke and all that. And I wrote songs for TV shows like Switched at Birth and Parks and Rec and The Office and SNL and the NBC promos and American Airlines and the American Girl movies. And I wrote- so are, are you ever those. hanging out with friends, walking through an airport, putting your kids to bed, and then you hear a song in the background on a television show that you wrote just by chance? Oh yeah, happens all the time. Happens all the time. What, what is that feeling like? I mean, I, I can't imagine what that's like. It's super fun. In fact, my, my kids and I, um, a couple of years ago, were flying to Florida and I have three little girls and I had just fallen asleep for like four minutes. And one of my daughters taps me on the shoulder. She goes, mommy, look, look. Cause my song, it was a McDonald's ad and it was playing and my song was playing and it was all the TVs you could see down the row. Everybody was watching. She's like, everyone's hearing your song right now. Or will we were, um, there's a new show on Netflix called Llama Llama. It's based on the Llama Llama red pajama books. And I wrote and sang the theme song. And so my three-year-old watches it and she goes, mommy, mommy show mommy show so um it's super fun when that happens um but what happened after that was even more awesome because i got led to another calling um what wound up happening is so many songwriters started knocking on my door saying can you teach me how to license music and I, at first i said no i don't i don't teach that i don't know how to do that and then it started to lead to but so many people are asking so maybe I should teach them. Well, how would I teach them? What, do I, what, what are even the steps I take? Hang on. So I opened a Google Doc and like brain dumped it out. What do I do? What do I start with? What do I then do? And I realized that maybe I should ask a few songwriters to come over and see if it was helpful. And people were, their mouths were dropped. Their eyes were wide open. They're like, I need this. Thank you so much. I have more questions. And I thought, I thought maybe, I'll build a, maybe I'll build a curriculum. So I started in my living room with workshops of like 10 songwriters at a time. People loved it. So I did another one and another one until finally there was a girl who heard about it. She was living in Boston at the time. And she said, I would love it if you put this online because I can't learn from you. Hang on. I have to tell my kids to be quiet. The kids so are Kathy, so sweet and they're home right now with the coronavirus. And, um, and in a way it's been such a gift because I feel like I get so much more quality time with them. Um, and then in a way that's a gift too, because what we just showed people, which is one of the things that I teach is you got to do it messy because if you have to be perfect and you have to have your hair blown out before you ever get on live video, or you have to have the perfect backdrop or the perfect words or the perfect, da, 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 it doesn't work anyway. And what I realized, and this is that part of the story I was going to tell you anyway, I wound up not knowing anything about how to teach that course online. I didn't know anything about webinars. I didn't have an email list. I didn't have a podcast, but I thought, I know that I want to do this. So let me just try it. What's the worst thing that can happen? And right. I was pregnant with my third daughter four years ago, eight months pregnant. It was me and a camera like on my desktop and I'm talking to people, no slideshows, just me. And at the end of it, I said to these songwriters, if you want, you can sign up for this program. And I made $147,000 and I went, what the heck just happened? What happened, John, is intimacy. Sales is intimacy. That's right. And I didn't hold anything back. I just gave them the value. I showed up for an hour with no slides, just me and my pregnant belly, just talking my heart out. And at the end, I said, if you want, I can coach you through this. This is the program. This is what it costs. And people signed up. The next time I offered the program, I made $445,000. The next time I offered the program, I didn't even have to sell it because people from both first two programs had made all this money licensing their music and felt that the light, that the class wasn't just 
business changing, but life changing. And we're saying Kathy's ideas about resourcefulness and empathy and how to build a business and how to even reach out to people, what to say so that it breaks through the noise and how to really start with the customer and what they need. And then one of my students said, everything you just taught us is relevant to every business. You should start a podcast so that any person could figure out how do you get resourceful? How do you get scrappy? How do you get empathetic? And how do you lean in and build a business? So I started a podcast called Don't Keep Your Day Job. Now I had three kids, right? At that time, my third was already born. Started a podcast and that was messy. Here I was in my living room. The kids were running around, doors were slamming, started the podcast. We're three years in, we're at almost 15 million downloads. And now I teach people how to figure out what are you made to do how can you be of use? And I have helped hundreds of thousands of people start businesses, leave their day job where they're miserable, pivot and start making cheesecake, start to teach people how to make pottery, start to a coaching program, talk about mindfulness, start their own podcast, write their own books, paint their own pictures, create a, a membership for people who want to be parents who are also learning how to juggle their creativity, productivity, organizing businesses. I mean, it is just amazing what we are sitting on. We're sitting on gold. What we're missing is seeing the possibility and we're missing momentum, which only comes from taking action. And so what action do we take? What is possible? That's where I'm at. And it has been amazing. That's my whole story. Boom, baby. I'm going to back you up just a little bit from that beautiful uh, finish line. You, you mentioned two things, seeing possibility and momentum. Do you all, have you always considered your, yourself capable and gifted at seeing possibility? Mm, that's a great question. I think uh, my default is, is in that camp. Yeah, I think so. But I think it's gotten so much better. It's on like full, full blast at this point in my life. Most of us, when we are young, we seek love. I mean, all of us seek love. You eventually were uh, stiff-armed away from the people who ought to be giving it to you most perfectly, your mom and dad. You, it seems, as I read your story, you turned a bit toward religion. Uh, I think you studied it in college. I think you went to Jerusalem for a, a week, and then you stayed there for three years. Yep. H how has religion it blessed you with not only perspective of what's possible, but also value that you were in fact enough? Oh, I love that question. It's so true. I don't know if I would be here if I hadn't taken that little three-week trip to Jerusalem, which turned into three years. Um, I didn't grow up knowing what God was or having a relationship to God or, or even understanding that whole concept. Um, I, knew, I knew it was around, but I didn't really have a connection with it. And when I went to Israel, I, um, I got it. <laughs> I mean, I got it and I, I knew there was something there and I had to stay. And, um, and one of, I mean, there's so many special, really, truly holy people in the world. And if you dig long enough, you'll, you'll weed your way through the people with the agenda and you'll find the real ones. And so just, just like that, even in Jerusalem, even in India, you'll find the people who are like, there's still a lot of ego there and mm. then you'll find the real ones. But when I finally found some really true holy people, um, one of my teachers, Rabbi David Aaron, said to me, you're a masterpiece. You're a piece of the master. And we need you. God doesn't make extras. He just doesn't. So if you're here, you're needed, and you are a conduit for his infinite light, his infinite goodness, and you are on a mission to be in alignment 
and be a channel, be a vehicle for that in the way that only you can shine that kind of frequency that he gave just to you. So you're needed. I think people don't understand that they're needed. And I've often thought about this because my mom struggled so much with depression. And I realize now that the opposite of depression is not happiness, it's purpose. It's feeling as though we are needed and we contribute. What people want more than anything else is belonging, contribution. We want that feeling that there is a bigger reason to why we're here. And I think that's really amazing about human beings that we are wired that way. So it changed everything for me. And when I left Jerusalem, I almost stayed forever, but I felt called to be a light into the world. I really wanted to take whatever was now whatever supercharge I had in my batteries. And I wanted to shine that on other people. And so a lot of my songs, you can hear the messages. Like, you know, one of my songs is called Let Your Color Shine. And it's really that song. It's everyone's got a little something. Everyone's got a little kick. Come on, give it away. Let your color shine. You could teach the world something. You can make the world a little better. You are needed. And it is true. We need every person to add their color to the tapestry. So I absolutely believe in that. I also believe that, you know, entrepreneurs, everybody will say all the reasons why something won't work. And the entrepreneur finds the one reason why it will. I think that's the tr true also about people of faith. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you have faith, everyone will tell you all the reasons why something is the way it is. And you go, ah, but look at this, you know, like, look at what this really might be. And so, you know, even with what we're going through now, because I believe so much, I have such a steadfast faith in God and the creator of the universe that loves us so much. I know that there's a gift here. I know that there's probably, we're going to look back as if, as if we're all right now in this cocoon and we will emerge from this different and there will be a healing that takes place. And if he doesn't get what he wants, sometimes he forces us to have whatever is the better version of our life. And so we've been running, you know, people have been running pretty mindlessly, pretty busy chasing money, not feeling necessarily more fulfilled or happy, but busier, busier, busier. And, um, and I feel that there is a healing and a gift in the stillness right now. And so um, I think that, again, what you're, what you're asking, I think the possibility of knowing that I'm here for a reason and then looking for how I can lift up, how I can guide. I think, I think it also helps with imposter syndrome because when you take a step forward, a lot of times people feel like, who am I to do this? But if you know that you're a masterpiece, a piece of the master, it's like, who are you not to share that? You know, you're, you're so going to tell God that he doesn't get it, that like he made you and like he, he made it wrong. Like he, every day you get up, he's saying to you, I have faith that you are needed here today. Who are you not to do it? You don't have to be the best person in the world at teaching this or making that. You just have to be available to want to help. And we need a lot of people to be available right now. So we're hearing the description of what we're currently going through is we've never seen anything like this ever. And I believe eight times since 1944, we've seen a bear market, a stagnation of less of greater than 20% in the market. So eight different times since 1944, we've seen this. And one of my favorite quotes in sacred scripture, and you're an expert, I'm, uh, I'm just uh, kind of coming and going through it, is uh, I think it's from Ecclesiastes. And the quote is, there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. And I love the fact that the wisest man in the world at the time is bored by the fact that there is nothing new going on here. It's all been said. It's all been done. We've experienced it before. And for me in my faith walk, Kathy, that actually gives me a lot of hope during days like today that are hard, 
that seem like we've never been through this before. It's never been this hard. It's never been this much of a slodge. And then you're reminded 2,700 years ago, someone was looking around seeing the exact same conditions. And uh, we can look at that with great fear and pessimism, or as you do, with great hope and optimism. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I think has happened in this generation is we've gotten really soft and we forget we are so resilient. We stand on the shoulders of giants. Our grandparents, our great-grandparents, they've survived wars, famines, hardship, polio. They have survived it. My grandparents, my great-grandparents, I know the stories personally of how mm -hmm. they had to flee the Holocaust, flee the pogroms in Russia, leave all their family, murders of people they loved, devastation. My grandparents, my, my, my grandmother was born to a wealthy family. They had money. They had servants. They had all of these beautiful things living in Europe. The Holocaust took all that they had financially and most of the people that they loved. Wow. And then they had to come to New York City with nothing but no language, no money, zero. And the, then the humility of having had so much and then it's like ripped out of your hands for no reason other than people don't like you and they killed everybody. So you're mourning, you're grieving. What did they do? They come to the Lower East Side of Manhattan and they built a business. <laughs> you know what build, business they built? They created the cardboard that went inside men's dress shirts and they started selling it and making it and walking into Macy's and Bloomingdale's and saying, you could use this. And they started standing in front of a machine with big sheets of cardboard and they built a business that fed four families and worked hard labor in front of a machine and sales and a new language. And they did it. That's one tiny, tiny little story. But if you knew what the beginning of that story was and what it's like to lose your mother and come to a new country when you're 15 years old and you were only able to get on the ship because somebody raped you and that was your ticket to get on that ship. And now you're coming alone with no sister, no brother, no parents, and one tea kettle because that's all you could take. And then you come and you build a business and you get married and you have children and you meet your husband. My grandparents met in Harlem dancing at a club called Roseland where Ella Fitzgerald <laughs> used to sing in the middle of the depression. And they built a business and they built a life and they built a family and they had holidays and they went to the Catskills and they had a vacation home and they lived a life. And that's one teeny tiny story. And all of my grandparents, all four of them have a story like that. But all of us who are listening, your grandparents, your great grandparents, go find the story of how the, this child died of this polio. Find the story of how, and what did they do? They kept going. You have two choices. You're either going to succumb to fear, which does nothing for you. In fact, the most contagious thing right now is not the virus because that we know is contagious, but the fear will be much more contagious. And we know that the nervous system is plugged into the immune system. So the more worked up, the more anxious, the more your body starts to fill with that cortisol, the less sleep you get because your mind is racing, it will poison your body. We have to choose. God doesn't want us to go into a state of fear. He wants us to say, what is here for me right now? How am I going to learn to have compassion? Let myself feel, let myself cry, give myself a hug, take a break, and then pivot and say, 
what is here right now? The birds are singing. The canals in Venice are clean for the first time in hundreds of years. There's, you can hear that the pollution in Wuhan, China has, has decreased to such a degree that they, see, they, they can hear the birds in the, in the air. Los Angeles has so much smog. I can look out my window right now. I can see clear across to the mountains. So there's something happening and we don't have to get it. How could our little minds understand what's really going on in the universe? We don't. But what we can do is say, Everyone has been resilient. You know, John, on my podcast, we had Howard Schultz. Howard Schultz didn't have to wait for the coronavirus. He grew up in public housing. He grew up in Canarsie, Brooklyn, in public housing at the last stop of the L train. For anyone who doesn't know, he started a business that grew. It's called Starbucks. He's worth billions. He didn't have to wait for the coronavirus. He was born into poverty. And from resourcefulness and resilience, he built a company that is not only a billion dollar company, but it takes care of their employees. And he's such a good person. Warren Buffett didn't have to wait for the coronavirus. He was born in 1931 when the economy was at its lowest point. And he looked around and said, all these people are so sad, but if I sell one Coca-Cola, that'll be a penny and five will be five pennies. And he started to get excited about what he could do. What could you do? What can you do? So I look at this and say, there's so much that we can't do right now. There's so much devastation. There's such obvious reasons to be sad. That's the obvious. That's it. My grandmother, who I just told you her story, she used to say to me, Kathy, this woman had a mother that died when my grandma was 15 years old. She was going it alone in the middle of a war, in the middle of a depression. She went from a, a war to a depression. I mean, it just, it, it just did, didn't end. But the point is, she said, Kathy, life is 10% what happens and 90% how you deal with it. She told me that. Every time I was with her, she told me that and she lived it. She didn't have any money. So she said she used to take an uh, eyeliner and draw a line up the back of her leg to make it look like she was wearing pantyhose. Oh. She only had one dress. So she said, I would learn to wear it three different ways. She couldn't afford to go to the movies. So she said, I learned to read and I learned to read stories and I would read by candlelight. And I like, she, there's just so much to it. But so, okay. So the, the given is all the stuff that's awful. We got that. You got to look for the good. You have no other choice, right? So I'm saying, oh my God, so what are all the things that are here? Well, they're still human beings and they have needs. And the economy is based on supply and demand. So as long as there are people who are sitting in front of their Skype, their Zoom, their Facebook, there are human beings who need things. What can we provide? That's when it starts to get pretty interesting. Kathy, for a moment, first of all, thank you for your share and, and the the beautiful history of your family. And every one of us, you mentioned it already, every listener, every viewer has a history in their family too that they ought to learn about because it's remarkable. Yes. Uh, whether the people chose this country in the US or they were dragged against their wishes and their desires into this country, which is some of our stories, they're both remarkable. Your ancestors are powerful and you sit on their shoulders. I think that's really well said by you. My question to you, though, is for those of us who right now are looking at the lights starting to blink above because we forgot to pay the bill last month, for those of us who uh, 
can't really pivot forward because we're not sure which way is up right now. Mm -hmm. We had a job we were securing. We had our financial savings we were securing. This, all this stuff that we believe to be important has been slowly or quickly ripped away from us. Speak a little bit of encouragement to those of us, like, like your grandmother, who uh, they didn't choose this. And now we got to figure out how, how do we choose our next step forward? Yeah. Well, one thing that's interesting, it's such an important question what you're asking, but one thing that's really interesting is that when they take cops, police, and they train them to go out and do their civil duty, they actually have to put them through a specific kind of training because it is completely natural for a human being when they see something scary to completely get paralyzed and freeze or run the other way but a policeman has to go into it. They have to walk into the danger, right? They're, they're there for that reason. So they have to train them psychologically. Your body is gonna wanna shut down, freeze, and or run. You're gonna have to actually move forward. You're gonna have to move against what your body wants to do. So I think that that's a really good metaphor because right now, people are feeling this fear and this overwhelm and this uh, uncertainty, and it makes them want to just lay in bed and pull the cover of their eyes and say, I just can't. But we can't do that. We cannot afford to do that. If the body doesn't have blood running through it, it dies. The economy needs to have money running through it, which means we have to, nobody, no one can afford and nobody can do this to their fellow citizen to sit down and go, I'm out. I'm taking a break. I'm depressed. I'm not going to do anything. We can't do that. We have to lean in just like the cop who's being trained to walk into it. We have to move in and say, what am I going to do here? And when we do that, we have to start looking at what are the realities of what people have been able to build online. I just had a woman on my podcast who was a teacher in Utah who was making a teacher salary and was really frustrated because it wasn't enough to pay what she needed for her family. And a few years ago, started to figure out this online world of selling stuff online. And she didn't even know what she was doing. She started out with some vinyl sticker paper she found in the basement she wasn't using. She wound up being able to sell it for 200 bucks. Then she started to try something else the next day. That didn't work. The third product didn't work. And so finally she started selling pillowcases and it worked. <laughs> she realized a few things about what makes that work. But my point is, and I'll talk about some of those things. If you get scrappy and resourceful and you look for the possibilities, you will find people who in in 2008, when we had a little bit of a dip, there were people shopping online. So how do you get people off the freeway of social media to buy your product? That's a good question to start to look at. There are people more than ever signing up for online courses for themselves, for their children. And that's a fact. The data is, is showing that, which means, is there anything I can teach? How would I teach that? What would I do? Well, I'm just one person who's literally been making multi-seven figures doing that for four years. So we can talk a little bit how you do that. It's about starting with what's possible. And then it's about moving into the battlefield and knowing that you're going to be okay. Different from my grandmother's story about World War II and the depression, we have Wi-Fi. We have so many tools while we're sitting in our homes, as much as it's awful and it is, 
we have stuff inside that we can make money from. That's unbelievable. Thank but, God for that. God, so I'm going to pause you there. It. Come off the battlefield with me just for a moment. Come back to the vision. Mm -hmm. I find it's very difficult to get people to see beyond the current horizon of their life. Like this, some, some of us, you for instance, have this huge horizon, inf infinite horizon. Anything is possible. Come on, let's go. <laughs> Others are, uh, John, I've been um, working at the same bakery in a job I don't like for a long time and my small business closed down last week. I got nothing. My horizon is very limited. So how do you help those of us who have a, small, a shorter horizon currently to see a, a larger, more infinite possibility in front of them? The first thing I would have people do is literally go and research and see if you can answer the question, who are three people who I can find on social media who have a business doing X, Y, and Z right now? And let me look at what that looks like. The second thing to ask is whatever I was doing, if I was baking, how can I pivot that online? Well, people can't eat the sourdough bread that I'm making because they're not coming into my bakery because it was closed. So what could I do with the fact that I'm a good baker? Could I write an ebook so people can be making recipes at home right now, which is something that they need more of? Could I teach a class for kids right now? One of the things that just to keep them distracted and happy and useful, let's just do some stuff over Zoom. Go get a bowl of eggs and flour, get your iPad, put it on the kitchen counter, let's do it. The question to ask is what could I do with what I love and with what I'm good at online and then see if you can find anyone in the world who's already doing that because you might not have certainty that you personally have done it or can but if you can see that someone else already flew to the moon then you can say well i've never gone to the moon but i guess it's a certainty that people have that's a fact which means i could decide that i'm going to try to do that because i know people already have done that that's so good as far as the battlefield battlefield analogy goes, this is step two. Part of a battlefield requires armoring up. It, it's grit, it's resiliency, it's faith, it's courage, it's audacity to show up and go. How would you encourage those of us who are right now are struggling getting out of bed, let alone armoring up, to get out of bed and move forward into the battle? I mean, the first thing is that we have to learn to self-regulate. You know, a lot of what's happening now is you see people teaching mindfulness in schools and helping kids to learn how to name their feelings. That's got to happen because what we're, most of us as adults, we didn't have that growing up. Nobody was talking about being mindful. And so as an adult, what we usually do is try to just distract ourselves from what we feel. The first thing that has to happen is you got to figure out a way to be with whatever you're feeling. And it's really hard when all you want to do is resist it. And then the anxiety just gets worse and worse. So the first thing is we have to take care of before you can move into the battle, you got to, if you're if standing in a volcano, you're no good to anybody else. So we got to first do a little baby bit of that. In 2007 and eight, I studied at the Mindful Awareness Research Center at UCLA. It was a random thing that happened. I was writing music for the Jim Henson company and Lisa mm. Henson, who's Jim Henson's daughter, was a big proprietor really helping them stay afloat and giving money to the mindfulness center. And she said, you should take some classes there. And I went and I wound up realizing how much I needed those tools. And those tools have really helped save my life. Feelings are like visitors. They will keep knocking louder and louder until you let them in. But once they come in and you just see it and name it, they're going to leave. They're visiting. 
So they might stay 45 minutes a day. When a kid falls off their bike and the mom comes over and says, you fell off, it was scary. The kid goes, that's when the kid actually starts to calm down because somebody is making space for that kid to feel the feeling. If the mom would come over and go, don't cry, I'll give you something to cry about, the kid's going to feel worse and it's going to show up later on that night or the next day. Or if the mom says, you're fine, you're fine, keep going, keep going. If the kid's really hurt, that's not going to work. We have to stop. So first, first and foremost, we've got to take care of our mental health. Every morning right now, more than anything else, you got to be, the way you charge your iPhone, you got to be charging your own batteries. Is there a meditation? Is there a little self-compassion practice? Just notice, I'm really stressed this morning. This is really scary. I'm really scared. I'm anxious. That's actually going to help you calm down. It's going to let you feel what you're feeling, integrate a little bit, and then move into what is going to light me up? Where can I start to find the endorphins, the positivity, the hope? listen to a podcast, listen to a certain playlist, um, that might then help you to say, what's that one next action I could take to start to build what might be the most positive thing in the world I've ever built for my family? Maybe this winds up being the gift that forces you to get resourceful and scrappy, and that's where you need to be leaning in. So I think it's a three-step process, like stop and feel it, try to give yourself some compassion a little bit every day. That's an incredible thing to practice move into charging your batteries with stuff that's going to give you that juice and then taking action. Momentum only comes from action taking. So we've got to take action. And what I said before, when I told the kids to be quiet is so true. You've got to let yourself do it messy. You got to hand yourself a huge permission slip. And right now, because of the virus, I think more than ever, people are giving people that permission of like, you don't, you don't have to show up perfect right now. So in anything, it's like, that's such a gift to lean into that. It's a gift to lean into that. It's a gift to know that everybody is, this mic is on. Everyone's listening. Everyone's home. So if you're going to want to start a podcast now or an online business now, you have more people listening than ever. And that's also a fact. So what can you use? What can you lean into? That's, the, that's what we have to show our children anyway. That's the resourcefulness that we need no matter what. How can we work with what we have right now? You mentioned earlier that uh, in Venice, you can see the bottom the fish are returning, the birds are returning. You can see the stars in China in parks that hadn't seen them in decades. In your, own, in your own backyard though, in your own life, Kathy, how has this coronavirus that is so devastating for the world uh, shown itself to be somehow, even in a small way, a gift for you? What, what are you noticing about yourself, about your family, about your faith, about your greater global community that is um, revealing itself to be um, a blessing in the midst of the storm? So much. You know, I feel like I'm wired for achievement. And so I'll have a goal. I'm going to make a million bucks and I want to live in this beautiful home. And then I'll hit that goal and then I'll move the goalpost. Now I want to make 5 million bucks and I want us to have this second home. And I want my kids to go to the better school and I want to drive an X7. And I have all those things and I do like it. I like my BMW. I like my house. I like the food that we get to eat and the hotels we get to stay at. But John, I've been unhappy. I got to a place where I was like, I don't get it. I tell people if they have purpose, they'll be happy. And I have a lot of purpose in my work and I love when I'm working, but I'm married to my work. I'm married to my job. I've lost balance. And in the last couple of weeks since being home with the kids, I've been telling my, my sister, I like doing the dishes. Hmm. 
I actually like taking these walks every day that we have to take or else we're going to go nuts. I like seeing my daughter on her scooter. I like that we all sat down and watched The Sound of Music two nights ago because we had the time to watch it. I hadn't seen it since I was six. Right. And I looked around and I said to my husband, I don't want things to go back to the way that they were. I want everyone to be healthy. That's not what I mean. I want the world to be back able to go. I want myself not to lose what I'm doing right now because- I was finding, I mean it, it was so weird. Every day for the last couple of years, I was even telling friends of mine who were doctors and nutritionists this, that at like four o'clock, I would get so fatigued and so tired. And now my kids are home. My business hasn't slowed down at all. I still have all my same response. So I'm doing exactly what I was doing, plus homeschooling my kids. And at four o'clock, I'm not tired. And I don't know why. Maybe because I'm much more present. I don't you know. You mentioned earlier the opposite of depression is not happiness, it's purpose. And so maybe you are fully living and leaning into your purpose. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it's more balanced and like, yeah, I was feeling a little bit off balance with my purpose. I mean, here, yes, I'm a mom. Yes, I have three kids. Yes, I'm with them Saturdays, Sundays, and I picked, I would, I was still picking them up from school, but I felt like in a way I was not really having quality time with them. And maybe I, because I feel that purpose now and I'm needed with them and I'm showing up for them every day. I think it's feeding me something that's much more important than money. And so I thought to myself, you know, even if we all have to kind of like get, you know, smaller or or shrink in some ways financially, I was like, maybe it's a blessing. Maybe we'll move to some farm in the middle of Sedona or we'll, you know, we'll just take the pace down a little bit and life won't be about five-star hotels. It'll be about walking on the creek. And maybe that's not the worst thing for America. Maybe. I don't know. As you look back at, at, at the struggles of the Jewish people, the struggles of your grandmother, your grandfather, your other grandmother, your other grandfather, those you've studied before, and then you take this all the way forward to where we are today in 2020 with the fear and the uncertainty of the unemployment mounting and the virus spreading and the panic setting in our, each of our souls, you have this sense of calm within you. So I'm hoping that as we pivot into the Live Inspired 7, you can share with us why you have so much hope in your heart today? You know, I mean, I feel fundamentally like I never expect it to be easy. My kids, right? I have three beautiful girls, thank God. I went through 14 rounds of fertility treatment and then, you know, had a few rounds, a few miscarriages, unsuccessful, had one, then went through a couple more years of more. Fer- and as I would go through the losses and my friends would go, I'm so sorry. I'd go, oh, I'm just doing this until it works. Like I'm not even noticing that I'm injecting myself with these things and having miscare. I'm just doing it. Like everything I've had is a fight, but I feel like that's the win. Hmm. Like when it's never the goal, it's who you become in chasing it, that that's what, that's your legacy. That's what you're craving anyway, is that breaking through of that upper limit. Every movie I've ever seen, Rocky, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory with Charlie Bucket, Frozen, any movie you can possibly think of is a story about the heroic character who's going to hit a wall and hit another wall and they're going to just keep pushing. Moana, he's like, you can't leave this island. Everybody has been destroyed. And what happens? She gets off the island and she almost dies like so many times and she just keeps looking at that horizon and she keeps listening to the call, that little voice that says, keep going. I think that's the test that we're always facing all the time. We're just now seeing it a little bit bigger and we're doing it together, which in a way makes it really beautiful. But I feel like 
the whole journey of being on the planet is hitting that resistance and can you keep going? When we watch movies, when we read books, we're ready for that plot point. We know it's coming. Then when it comes in our own life, we're like, what's this about? (laughs) I feel like it's kind of a gift right now because there's a big plot point, but we're all doing it together. So we, we know in the research that what human beings want is purpose and belonging and transcendence. And it's like, when in history have you ever seen that more than now? Connectedness, the interconnectedness of everyone, how a person who lives in China winds up affecting somebody who lives in Vancouver. It is amazing. We are one family together right now, moving through this together. Everybody understands where everybody else is at. And now more than ever, we need those people to hang out a lantern and lead. And so I feel like there's a huge opportunity for us to come together, to support each other. I don't know. I'm not God. I don't know where it's going to shake out or what's going to happen. But I know that in every moment, the only thing that I need to do is, is to to make the choices with what I have. And so I think we take it one day at a time and every day we say, how can I make today epic? What's here for me to learn? What's here for me to give? And if we approach it that way, I think we might be amazed mm. at what, we, what we're able to find and share and give. Kathy, you encourage us to be lanterns. You, my friend, are a lighthouse. Thank you. And as we get ready to wrap up our conversation, uh, celebrating the fact that we don't have to keep our day job that we can pivot into something even bigger than we've been living. My my first question to you as we uh, move forward together is question number one, in addition to don't keep your day job, what is the best book you have ever read? There's so many good ones. Wow. Can I say three or no? I can have to say one. (laughs) My Canadian friends don't have periods in their vocabulary. They have commas. But you tell them to share like in one sentence and 34 minutes later, you, uh, you get the period. So you take as much time as you want in telling me uh, what books are your favorite. So here come at least three audience. Oh my gosh. My first favorite book I ever read, the first time I was like, this is a good book, was the book Siddhartha by Herman Hess. I love that book. Um, I also love John Kabat-Zinn's book, Full Catastrophe Living. It's all about mindfulness and dealing with unrest, which I think everyone could use right now. He's an incredible teacher who helps us learn to be with what is um, and, uh, and there's a book called the artist way by Julia Cameron that helps people tune into their creativity and get messy. I could go on, but those are a few good books. Solid. Thank you. <laughs> what, what, what is one positive characteristic, one trait that you had as a little girl growing up that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? Trust. Um, I trust the world and I trust my business and I trust my abilities, but I don't think I trust um, that I'm seen and loved by my husband because of what I've been through. I think that my work is there loving and being loved and trusting and all of that. So I can lean in and show up. Thank you. Great. Honest. You talk so much about compassion and empathy in your work. That was a beautiful answer. If your home caught fire and the person at the door is no longer there and your animals are out and your daughters are out safe and your husband is out safe, and you have an opportunity, Kathy, to run in and grab one item, just one thing. What's the one thing you would grab? It's just the first thing that came to me, and it's a little bit, I don't know, but I would grab my computer because I love going live and talking to people and encouraging people. It's really win-win. It makes me feel better. And I can't imagine if I didn't have that to do, it would make me feel really sad. Mm. So. 
So the laptop is out safe and so are the kids. Kathy, if you could sit on a bench on a gorgeous beach on a picture perfect day and have a long conversation with anybody living or dead, who would you want to be seated right next to? I never met my grandfather, my mom's dad. He died right before I was born. And I've always felt like he's watching over me and he was super magical and I would love to meet him. What was his name? His name was Ben. Ben. What's the best advice Ben or anyone else ever gave you? My grandma used to say, before you do something, think about what somebody else woke up with today. She was one of the most compassionate people and she had every excuse to be bitter and she wasn't. She was very loving. I think that that was one of the best pieces of advice. That's good. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? You are going to be okay. You have a huge role to play in the world and please know that you're more than enough, just exactly Mm. how you are. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to prove it. You don't have to do anything to be loved. It's... It's right here for you. So Kathy, on on my first religious retreat I went on as an adult, I received a rock with one word on it. It was enough. That's the only word it had on it. And I was thinking as I held this rock in my hand the whole time, what the heck does this even mean? And as I held it, I assumed it meant enough explanation point, like just knock it off already, enough, O'Leary. But as I progressed through this week and I recognized it was really about uh, like recognizing everything you're seeking is already within you. Like you're fully baked. You're not an accident. What you've been through is not miserable. You're enough. And it was an incredibly liberating rock to have received. But I keep hearing you say that word today and it keeps reminding me of that retreat. And I just need you to know like you, you too, like you're enough and it's good. That's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Well, thank you for living it. And the final question to you, Kathy Heller, author of Don't Keep Your Day Job, host of the podcast by the same name. It has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? I think Kathy made me believe that I had so much value. And because of that, I gave to others and lifted them. Kathy Heller was indeed a lighthouse who reminded them that they had profound value, that they were enough, and because of that, they were able to meet others where they were and to remind them in a time of great uncertainty that the best is yet to come. It's a good gravestone. Kathy, I thank you for living it. I thank you for being light and reflecting it. Thank you so much. You were, you were terrific. Thank you so much for doing what you do. You, you do such a good job of this. Thank you. <laughs> My friends, that is Kathy Heller. My name is John O'Leary, and this is your day. Hedwin, be darned. This is your day. Choose to live inspired. I hope you enjoyed today's Live Inspired podcast. You may know this, but if you don't, get ready for it. We are just a couple weeks away from launching my newest book. Give me the drum roll, please. There you go. I heard it in the background. The book is called In Awe. My friends, In Awe is packed with inspirational stories that will remind you that your days aren't just something to endure, but a marvelous gift to savor. I know the news and the headlines today can make us a bit anxious right now. And yet I look forward to reigniting your hope for tomorrow 
and reminding you of the absolute truth that the best is yet to come. So my friends, join me right now. Check out the website where you can learn more about the book. You can find all the details at readinawe.com. Again, it is readinawe.com. On that site, you can pre-order your very own copies. You can get some in awe goodies. You can hear the early buzz about the book, and you can get a sneak peek into what took place to get this book to where it is today. You're going to love it. So check it out one final time. I'll see you there. It is at readinawe.com.